beginning of Clearly KC, the podcast by the National Keratoconus Foundation, featuring information about life with keratoconus. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Barnett, and today Dylan is joining us all the way from South Africa. Welcome, Dylan. Hello, everyone. Hello, Dr. Barnett. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very humbled and very excited to be here today. We're absolutely thrilled to have you. And I had the pleasure of going to South Africa this year for the first time. I lectured there in September and got to go on safari. So it was the most amazing experience and I recommend it to everyone. I'm so glad you had a very nice time here. South Africa is one of the most beautiful places, to be honest, not because I live here, but because um, it is one of the seven wonders of the world. For example, Table Mountain, even the weather is very very lovely on this side and the beaches it's excellent i'm glad you had a good time here oh i had a great time and i can't wait to go back <laughs> so today we're going to talk about your experience with keratoconus and being a teacher and all of that how old were you when you were diagnosed with keratoconus um when i was around eight nine was when i was officially diagnosed with keratoconus but i had a very very complicated journey before that, looking for a diagnosis. Officially, I was diagnosed in 2009. 2009 was when I was officially diagnosed. But before that, I had been suffering for a long time, trying to find out what exactly was happening with my vision. Yeah. Wow. What do you remember from that conversation when you were eight or nine years old with the initial diagnosis? Well, well, to actually understand the initial diagnosis, I like to really look back on how it all started. When I was very young, very, very young, I think when I was around three or four years old, I used to have a lot of um, allergies. And um, my parents would um, take me to the clinic or they would take me to the hospital and just looking for a diagnosis and to see what exactly was going on. And the hospitals and the clinics would just um, dismiss it and say that it's just allergies, you know, maybe prescribe some medication. But then as time went on, I would rub my nose, I would rub my eyes, seeking some sort of relief. And only when I started grade one, then my parents realized I had serious, serious vision problems because I couldn't read or write. I couldn't look at anything without putting it in my face. And so, again, my parents would take me to the clinics and to the hospitals, and no one could actually explain because originally we were living in Zimbabwe. And mm -hmm. this is a country where there's a poor health system, there are poor facilities, and no one could explain to us what was going on. When I turned nine or around nine years old was when my father decided, you know what, I think we should seek better answers, you know, different environment, different hospitals. And so we relocated to South Africa. And when we relocated to South Africa, we were being referred to from one hospital to another hospital. All of the hospitals were saying that this was an issue that they could not accommodate. And we ended up at Hrutiskil Hospital here in Cape Town. And over there at Hrutiskil Hospital, was when all the doctors came in and then they started looking at my eyes, tests and things like that. And then keratoconus came up. And I was so young at that time, I probably didn't understand what they were saying, but my parents have told me that that's when keratoconus came up. One of the things I remember in that hospital was one of the doctors coming up to me and she said, you know, you probably don't understand what's going on here, but 
if I were to explain it in the way that you would understand, is that a normal cornea is like half of a soccer ball. That's the shape it's supposed to be. But your cornea is like half of a rugby ball. And because of that, that's why you are struggling to see like your mom or your dad or, or your brothers and stuff like that. And then finally, that's when I understood what exactly was going on. And then that's everything. Wonderful especially in South Africa, where rugby is so popular. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it stuck with me. It clearly explained what exactly was going on. And rather than being shocked with the diagnosis and being sad about it, I think we're more like relieved to finally put a name to what exactly was going on. And um, then they started talking about the solutions and things like that. Wow. That is quite a journey yeah, to yeah. obtain the diagnosis. Wow. How did the diagnosis of keratoconus change the way that you approached your education and career choice? I like to think that initially, keratoconus or my vision problems were the reason why I was so encouraged or motivated to keep on with school because I felt like if I'm able to go on with school, I'll be able to understand what exactly was going on with my vision. And because of that, I um, persisted with school a lot, even though I had such serious problems with being in school, you know, reading, writing. And I was very determined, even though, despite all of this, because of that, it motivated me to choose a career that I knew would help other people in return, because I was lucky enough to be in South Africa and finally get a diagnosis, but there's someone else in Zimbabwe or in any other part of Africa who cannot get that diagnosis. And so because of that, I was inspired to study education as a career field so that I have the opportunity to teach about this, you know, or teach about school in general. Wow. You just answered my next question about what inspired you to be a teacher. <laughs> what classes? Which was? <laughs> No, that's that's fantastic. Which classes do you teach? What do you teach? So right now, I literally just graduated with a bachelor's degree in education from the Cape Peninsula University. And because of that degree, I'm allowed to teach high school biology and English. Fantastic. Yeah. But okay. currently, Congratulations. No, currently. thank you so much. Thank you so much. Currently, I was teaching grade seven mathematics. That's what I was doing currently. Very good. So when I was in South Africa, I saw children walking without shoes going to school. Is this common? It's common. It is. In South Africa, there's a very big difference in terms of income areas, right? We have our low income areas. We have the middle income, income areas, and then we have the low income areas. But for now, I was actually teaching in the low income areas. And it's very common to have children who are struggling to get by. Maybe they're living off the government funds, or maybe they're living off very little. Maybe the parent is not working, or maybe sometimes it's a, it's a children-headed household where one of the child or the siblings is actually being a parent. And because of that, you have a little bit of, how can I say, there's a little bit of 
sadness surrounded around that because kids are really struggling. And that's what we try to do with the organization that I was working with, because we're trying to look at low income areas and we teach them basic mathematics to cover whatever they miss because of different circumstances. Yes, that is sad. I was also informed that it's for the normal development of feet so that they don't wear shoes so that their feet can develop properly. Well, actually, I'm not sure of that. that. I'm not sure of that. Some of the kids choose not to wear shoes, but they have. But there are instances where kids actually do not have shoes and they cannot afford. And some of the schools in high-income areas donate their shoes to the low-income areas, things like that. But it is common, but I'm not sure of the fact that for feet development, I'm not sure, honestly. It's just something I I was surprised to see and that I've never seen before. So Dylan, what is your teaching philosophy and how do you incorporate it into your daily lessons? Well, one of the former presidents of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He has this quote that he has, and it says that the most powerful weapon to change the world is education. And that philosophy, that quote has stuck with me ever since I was very young, because if you really think about it, it's underestimated, but with education, that's how we can change the the current situation in any country, to be honest, especially when we're talking about Africa. So that motivated me to study education as well. And it's something that I practice in my classrooms. And I encourage my kids, you know, to take education seriously because that can help them change, not just for money, but in terms of being enlightened as well. That is absolutely fascinating. So I'm going to send you the photo of me next to the statue of Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I visited when I was there. Wow. Yes, it was fantastic. How has the diagnosis of keratoconus made you a better teacher? Well, every time I think about this, and I always think that there are a lot of negatives that come with keratoconus. But when we have to talk about the positives, I think keratoconus has made me, first of all, choose education as my career field. And that's something I'm grateful for. And I'm grateful to keratoconus. Also, because of keratoconus, I have learned to rely on my hearing more than my sight. And children appreciate it when you listen to them. And that's something that I do a lot because over the years, I've relied on listening more than seeing. And because of that, it has made me a better teacher because I listen attentively. I'm always prepared to listen to what the child has to say. And I think that has made me a very good teacher. I'm not sure, but I think it has. Oh, I'm sure it has. I can tell you're a fantastic (laughs) teacher. And listening is so important, not only for children, but adults too. Yeah, it is. It is. And, And even not just to kids. But any other relationships, I tend to listen more before I say anything because of what I've seen. And I think that has made me a a very attentive listener. And even my siblings or whoever, they usually talk to me before they talk to anyone else. And I think that's because of character code. That's that's wonderful. So you submitted this fantastic photo for World KC Day. And you said that your students never saw you without glasses. So please share that experience. 
Yeah, that was one of the photos because what we try to do with our kids is to take them out of the low-income areas and we try to show them universities and we show them different places of Cape Town. And that, in that photo, we were at the University of Cape Town, um, which is where I'm going to be studying this year. And we were trying to show them that these are the different careers and stuff like that. And they wanted to take a picture because it was a trip. And they said, no, we want to see you without your glasses. And I never usually take off my glasses. And it was, you know, a happy day. They were all excited and they pressured me. And it was the first time I took off my glasses. And they were like, you look so different. They couldn't recognize me. It looks like there's so much joy coming from that photo. And all of you. Yeah, it was. (laughs) They were so excited. You know, it was, there was food. There was, um, excitement, joy, meeting other people, being on the bus and stuff like that. It was very exciting for them, honestly. How fantastic. Do you have any funny stories as a result of being a teacher with Keratoconus? Um, There are a lot of funny stories. For instance, with my kids when we're in class, I know each and every one of them and I talk to them and whatever. But whenever we are outside the school, it's difficult for me to recognize their faces, especially when they are not in their school uniform. And sometimes they see me in the mall and I walk right past them and they think I was ignoring them. And then when they come back to school and they say, sir, I saw you at the mall. I saw you this, I saw you there. And I'm thinking, no, I did not see you. And they're like, no, I waved at you and you were looking right at me. <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't see you. <laughs> Yeah, that is one of the funniest thing. It happens a lot. And then I just say, no, guys, you know, I cannot see properly. I don't have good vision. You need to call out to me. And then they laugh and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's definitely out of context, right? If they're not in school uniform and in a different place. (laughs) And there are a lot of them. There are about, I don't know how many kids, a lot of them, maybe 526 kids. And it's difficult to keep up with them, especially (laughs) when they're not in school uniform. (laughs) Probably see them everywhere you go. (laughs) (laughs) When you were hired for your current position, let's say, were the school administrators aware of your vision condition of keratoconus? In my previous years, I really spoke about keratoconus because I felt like it's something that like I'm trying to look pitiful or I'm trying to look sad. So I never really used to talk about being with keratoconus or being a keratoconus patient. But now for this position that I'm in now, I actually discussed that I have keratoconus and this and that, you know, and because of my story, it actually motivates them to say kids might have something like this. And then they hire me because I'm so inspirational to the kids and things like that. So I think in a way it plays a good part in terms of inspiring kids. Not to say that it's basically the reason why I'm hired, but it plays a good part in why I'm hired. Yeah. Yes, I I definitely agree. And it's a great opportunity for the employer too, to know that you have keratoconus to recognize it and also to make appropriate accommodations that might be needed. Here's where the National Keratoconus Foundation is also helpful to provide resources for job accommodations and can point you in the right direction for those who are not aware of these resources. That's true. That's true. It's very informative in my opinion, yeah. 
So before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, well, when I was explaining exactly what was going on with how I came about with haircut, I forgot to mention, or I didn't really mention that when I was diagnosed with keratoconus in 2009, they said that it was one of the most severe cases they had ever seen, especially with my age. And so they immediately put me on a list for a transplant, a cornea transplant. And that was my first cornea transplant, and they did it in my right eye in 2010. Then in 2019, they did in my left eye. And because of that, that's why I have better vision than before. But before that, my vision was absolutely terrible. Uh, but with the new corneas and the transplants, I definitely have better vision. And I am saving up for sclerol lenses. Hopefully sometime I'll have enough money for it in Twitter. But I think I've put up a good fight <laughs> when it comes to my vision and stuff like that in keratoconus. I remember when I was very young, I used to cry a lot and I used to be very sad. But over the last four or five years, I've been very grateful. I've been much more understanding and I'm embracing the state that I'm in and I'm very grateful for the position that I'm in now. Yeah, that's something I forgot to mention. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I have a great doctor recommendation for you in Cape Town. So <laughs> I'll connect with you later about that to help you with this. All right. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for that. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for inspiring us on the Clearly KC podcast. We're incredibly grateful to you and to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us on Clearly KC. Please listen to all of the episodes of the Clearly KC podcast on Podbean or your favorite podcast app to subscribe and get future episodes. So for now, I'm Dr. Melissa Barnett, and I will see you next time on Clearly KC. Thank you.